Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. Well, I didn't hear any of that. We're live. We're live already, so... All right. Jonathan is forcing us to Keep it hurry up and yeah. get our act together. So, here we are. Good morning. Good morning and afternoon, everyone. It's, it's morning it's somewhere. As a wise man once said, everything's going to be okay, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. Well, we're here. We're going to talk about this fish show from 1986. I just want to say, just just as a as a coda to the last conversation... I've been leaving cereal and cereal bowls out for my kids since the beginning of the pandemic, since early 2020. So you can do it, Brian. How old was, was Maya at that point? Was she like seven? Yeah. Okay. So this, this is, is the right motivation I need because Wallace is seven. He mm-hmm. needs to Make start doing this. 
if you're watching this at school wallace first and foremost mr smith please turn off a fish podcast my son is in school right now and should be learning but if you're watching this for some reason he sometimes youtubes me and watches these you are going to be making your own cereal this weekend I, I got to yeah. say, this is educational stuff. And I say stuff right. only because your kid might be watching and you probably shouldn't hear me say shit. But um, he this just is educational. Shit. Oh, well. Just wait till he YouTubes this. I blew oh, it. God. <laughs> Should we press it like the, do we have one of those things where we can. Yeah, bleepers. Leap? Is that what delay. <laughs> just put it on my feet only. Yeah. My kids um, say, Brian, you they, just. They, they learned it all from me. Brian, you can use a like a a travel mug with like a little like where you drink out of. Use that little hole to pour the milk out of. That's what we do. This is, you just yeah, that way they don't have to. That's next level, RJ. With a big jug. Yeah, Smart. yeah. Every day, every day. All right. Was this so, your idea, like Rachel? This is what I wanted. It was my idea. It was my idea. Right, I'm just job. telling you. So smart. Um, also. For those of you who are watching live, thanks for tuning in. For those of you who listen to this tomorrow on January 31st, you should wish Brad a happy birthday because tomorrow's Brad's birthday. So everybody everybody say happy birthday happy to Brad tomorrow. Happy birthday, Brad. Happy birthday, Brad. Brad. We're so, so happy to have good. him on birthday. So good to have him on last week. Oh, it was. Can, was can, I just, can I just say one more thing, guys? I have um, the the fine people at Section 119 sent me this new sweatshirt that I'm wearing, and... It's the warmest zip-up hoodie that I've ever owned. It's like it's almost too warm. Like I wore a T-shirt underneath, even though it's really cold out here in my office. This is like it's lined. It's got some. I don't know. I don't even know what's going on, but um, check it out because it's very warm. That's all. I um, I want to add on to mine. that too. <laughs> you want one too, Jonathan? No, I have one. I, I I have one with the bolt on it, and I absolutely love it. And it's warm and cozy. I wear it a lot. Well, I just got some sweatpants. But I don't really know how to like wear those and show them on the pod. I feel like that'd be kind of weird. <laughs> so maybe I'll yeah, send a fair. picture or something. But yeah, they're amazing. And they say Scarlet Fire on them. They're really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah and they're really to... well made. <laughs> you'd have to stand on your desk. I'd have to like stand up. It'd be, yeah. I don't know. If anybody yeah. can think of a way I can do it, I'll do it. But it seems weird. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, Brian, have you been listening to the Gorge release the fish 1998 I, have. I listened to it all on friday and saturday morning what do you guys think of it what do you all think of it i'm mad that it wasn't on live fish like forever ago so there that's where i stand <laughs> i've been I out on cd in... since last fall <laughs> or whatever i i share in jonathan's i don't know if i'm angry as much as i am just ire, frustrated and ire, right? it's just like why'd you get it? come on like i get it trying to Quit sell physical copies but like i don't know man did we really need to wait two months for it to be released it sounds really good it's really well mixed the only negative i'm going to say which is my responsibility Uh-oh. is to say negative things the Uh-oh. only problem with a soundboard go- gorge release is that you lose the kind of atmospheric ethereal nature of hearing George. So with all of the ambiance on a audience recording, it has the same effect as um friend of the pod, Craig Hillwig taped a lot of the Island tour shows that every one of us listened to before they officially released it. And the room 
oh, it just sounds amazing. Like when they get into those like melodic ambient jams, it just sounds brilliant. And it, you lose a little bit of that out about that on the soundboard. Again, I don't want to complain because it sounds beautiful. And Trey's guitar tone, oh, 98, Trey guitar tone is amazing. But you just, you lose that. It's 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 a strange thing. I have seen a number of comments from reliable folks uh, who were disappointed in the compression on the cymbals and other elements of this recording. But I, because I did not buy the CDs, I have not heard an uncompressed version of it, so I cannot speak to it myself. But I trust those people and their ears. Wow. Wow. None of them complained about Trey's guitar tone, though. Um but, uh, That's right. <laughs> uh, I'll say that. Yeah, but, you, you know, the new LP on LP, Radio City Ghost, that sounds yeah. amazing. Absolutely yeah. stunning. And that is an example of something that is that it's much better. That. that much better because of the soundboard release. There are things that you hear going on in that jam that you just simply don't get in the audience recording. Subtleties of Mike and Paige on the record. Oh, so good. Everything uh, happening below the surface. This is a good plug as well for Osiris yeah. premium, where yeah. we will be talking yes. after we record this about our go LP ahead. on LP wishes, which is, you know, we all were supposed to bring one and I thought I was being excessive by bringing five only to find out that Jonathan brought between like six and nine and our four and eight, six, four and six, four and six. <laughs> And Megan just, has, Megan just it. went show by show and just started making a spreadsheet <laughs> about reasons why, and it blew us all away. Yeah, right. Um, well, thank you for asking. I think the Gorge release is the. I think it's like the best mix of a remastered live fish release that I've heard in a long time. It's really, right really. I mean, I don't know. Compression of symbols is not something that. I even know how to judge. So maybe I'm not the right person to, to talk about this, but I think it's really great. That's all. Um, all right. Well, I'm so, glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought I was, I, who knew that I would be the person saying how great it was, but here we are. I think it's a good opportunity. Now that you've brought up quality audio recordings that have turned into soundboard official releases. It's a good opportunity to plug a demand that I've long had that Kevin Shapiro released 725 1999. We just need to hear that show. Um, so that's, that's my demand. We need to hear that in soundboard. Well, don't, don't I mean me? Yes, of course, of course. But 725 99 easy. Just drop it on the, uh, drop it on the app and you'll get some more subscribers. It's great. Plus I'll be happy and I'll stop asking for it. And then you'll ask for things like the great one and be excited <laughs> like a certain like yeah. a reasonable person would. Oh, and you know, this year is the opportunity to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the lemon wheel with a summer drop of the lemon wheel boxed set. I'm looking forward to that. Lemon wheel like is sort of a, a really overlooked thing that happened. It was amazing. You know? Yes. People don't talk about it that much. Um, but what we do talk about is the 40 for 40 that we're doing and we're moving on to <laughs> 1986. Um, I think, you know, some fish fans claim that they don't listen to eighties fish. Um, I think most don't, but I, I think I'd say like 95% of 
fans don't listen to eighties fish. I think there's like more people who say they do for like street cred, but I don't believe them because I think it's hard to go back to these shows. But after listening to this show, I kind of want to listen to more eighties fish, even though I've listened to a lot. This show made me want to go back and listen and listen to more. That's my that's my opening um, statement on this show. Um, I don't know where to start, but I just wanted to say that. Well, I, I will follow that and say that this is this is a great example of what they should go and find. Um, I think that probably a great number, many fish fans like do a drive by on the 80s at some point in their listening. Uh, you know, and they'll like dip into like 89 and think they've done it. They'll go to the listen to the Scarlet Fire Fire and think that's what they need to know about 85 or whatever. And and then they go yeah. right back to whatever era is their favorite. Um, but yeah, this is yeah. A, kind of a, well, it's a really strong show. It's got kind of everything for this time period. Yeah. I think about this show in accordance to the show that came two weeks before at 10, 15, 86, where this show has a lot of second versions of songs that were played for the first time on 10, 15. And they feel kind of like a pair as a lot of shows around this era did. I agree with both of you guys are saying in the sense that this is a standout 1980s fish show that if you want to go back, we talked last week a lot about the idea of the bridge from 85 to 86. I have a ton of notes about how much has like come together, but still how much is like needs to come together for fish to really become fish. But this, this sounds like a very different band from 1030 85 this sounds like a band that is spending a lot of time writing a lot of time rehearsing they're starting to come up with hijinks and inside jokes that are literally going to last for the next 37 years and when they're still you know coming to fruition now um i didn't listen to a lot of 80s fish until we did uh uh undermine season one and i listened to a lot of it over like a three or four month period in time I found it endearing and I found a ton of gems and highlights that I'm really excited to talk about over the next couple of episodes as we explore the late eighties where, you know, fish continues to become who they're going to be. What are your thoughts, Meg? Is this kind of your first time dipping into the eighties or? Yeah. I mean, I'd listen to a little bit of it, but only like if someone had a tape, you know, and I was somewhere and I would hear it and I'd be like, Oh, that's cool. But never in like a really in-depth way, like I am now. And it's awesome. I mean, I think the one thing that stood out to me about this year that's interesting is that they've played less shows this year, just a few less, but we know there's 24 shows at least, which kind of surprised me that they weren't kind of ramping up, but it's so much based on like the school, the school year. You can see they're just still a college band, which is pretty cool. And I love like learning about what's been going on with the band during this time period. That's what's been the most fun for me in this project so far is just like reading and really thinking about like what was going on with them and what was impacting them. And a lot has happened since 1985 for them. You know, Trey brings you and Dre myself and it just pushes Holdsworth over the edge and he's like, I'm out. So he leaves in March and graduates, leave town, finds God, the whole thing. And then Trey and Fish join Goddard. Page makes money off it, which is pretty funny. And then Trey starts <laughs> studying composition with Ernie Styers, which is like so impactful and going to be so important to him moving forward. And it's cool because this fall, like right after the show, is kind of the beginning of when they establish this residency at Nectar's. So they're starting to play 
really well attended shows at Hunts and in the smaller room at Nectar's. And from like 86 of November until like March 89, they're playing sort of a residency at Nectar's, which is incredible. You know, they're playing Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, either, you know, some combination of those nights and playing from like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. And it becomes like this laboratory for them, which is so incredible. And, you know, they played at the front more, like 53 times and Nectar's at 47, but Nectar's is really kind of the place where they get to explore and be free. And just hearing them talk about that and how incredible that was for them, it's really, it's exciting. And you think about this time period for them, 32 debuts this year, you know, incredible songs are debuted this year. Bowie, Lushington, Golgie, Wilson, Haley's Comet, ACDC Bag, Aculus, and Yem. I mean, those are monster songs, right? Like they're going to be setting the kind of ground floor for for what Fish is going to be. And then they released the white tape this year too. Pretty cool. Big year. Yeah. I, w- I want to um, shout out uh, my friend K Pow in the uh, chat who notes in response to the exhortations to listen to 80s fish that he's just going to let us do it. All right, fine. <laughs> we'll take the hit for you. We'll do that. <laughs> You're we'll missing out, Kevin. It's good. It's good yeah, stuff. Man, it's good stuff. So, okay. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Brian. I just want to, uh, first and foremost, that was an amazing breakdown, Megan. Thank you for coming yeah, yes. that prepared with where exactly Fish was at. Um, I have a kind of question that just came to my mind as you were talking about all that. Do you think that 1986 was the year that like, Mike and Paige were kind of like, this Trey guy is a little intense? Like he keeps bringing these songs, and <laughs> yeah. keep bringing these ideas. Like how many times in 1986 do you think Trey was like, we should do a tour? And they you guys, were kind you of, guys, you guys, here's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I just, I imagine like Trey's a you guys kind of guy. I haven't, I haven't yeah, 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 yeah. It was like a weekly yeah. thing where they were like, yeah, that was a good show. And he was like, and like, he was walking off stage, just like scribbling down notes. Like, nope, here's how we can do it better. We're going to band practice right now. And they were like, but like, I, I was going to like the sock it's hop. Two AM. After this. <laughs> the sock hop. No, I don't I know what you. By, like, I don't know if you the eighties. I'm into it. The eighties, the fifties. It's basically the same period, right? Yeah. It uh, is. But you know, totally. like, <laughs> I just imagine like they walked off stage and Trey was like, "We're thinking about the next show right now," and they're like, "But the next show is not for like fifteen days." And he was like, "No, no, 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 drop everything." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's true. I think that's all true. Fairly accurate. I think it's all accurate. Yeah. Um, okay, Brian, what do we need to know about 1986? It's still the 80s as far as we know. Brian's got a oh. lot of notes on this. I want to jump in okay. with one, uh, like a one tiny note. So 1986 is 37 years ago, which is what? the same. Dis- yeah, 37 years ago. That's not the That's note, though. Um, oh. That means... If you look at where Fish is, you know, Brian mentioned sock hops and whatnot, you know, when they're walking off the stage, 37 years prior to that was 1949. 1949. Whoa, that's crazy. So just try and realize how long ago that was. and, And for Brian's sake, try and realize how old that makes me. Okay. Stop that shit, Jonathan. Because I'm just like I'm. Cl- I have like proximity with you. I don't like that. Like we're just gonna talk about how young you're. Not are as old as me. It's fine. So don't worry about it. So 
1986, this is October 31st, my, my brother is is two weeks old at this point in time. It's really, really crazy. Aww. Two weeks old. Um, I am eating solid foods by this point. <laughs> oh, good for I'm you, Brian. Tracking yeah. through my life at this point. Um, the New York <laughs> Mets have just beaten the Boston Red Sox in one of the greatest World Series of all time. Um, the Boston Celtics have won their 16th championship at this point. We're getting set for the 1986 midterms. Iran-Contra is starting to heat up. Um, We are also in 1986, specifically at this point in time. So October 31st, what this date falls on. Cyndi Lauper's True Colors is the number one number one song in america does anyone have like specific memories of that yeah yeah. i remember that song oh yeah it's huge i'm I'm trying to remember in 1986 on this night in 1986 i don't remember who or what i may would have dressed up as for for halloween um i would have been what 12 so i definitely went trick-or-treating um and yeah, Cape House first uh, dead show was that year. Good for him. God damn. See? That's he, amazing. He's old. Megan, what did you go as for yeah. Halloween that year? Punky Brewster. Nice. I looked exactly like Punky Brewster. I can believe it. Do you have a exactly. picture of you as Punky mm-hmm. Brewster? Yeah, I do. I, think I had like bandanas <laughs> tied on my thighs and like, yeah, I was really into Punky Brewster. I think I had a Pepsi shirt on too. I was her two years in a row. <laughs> I just it just looked wow. so good. It was just so good. I was like, I'm going to do this again. This is a good oh. look for me. It's like when I go to shows now, I just wear the same outfit, just like different versions. That was like me and Halloween too. You know, when you got something that works, you just like go with it. Yeah. Roll with it. Yeah. How about you, RJ? Where is Punky Brewster today? I can't oh, remember. I, I, She's around. Shouldn't she just do like a, uh, you know, what everybody's doing where you play your child childhood character as an adult or something they just I think did show. it wasn't like a the punky brewster show but it was she was on something i think yeah <laughs> yes i was I, I don't know i was seven here and i don't know I, I wonder what i was for halloween maybe that was the year i was michael jackson with like an actual <laughs> coat and a glove but maybe not That's were so you bad amazing. i can see that yeah i mean uh, <laughs> i might walk been, around with a pepsi um, can and remember. your hair on fire that's probably that, tasteless. Well, that would be <laughs> yeah. weird um the costume so um okay well um i also one remember thing I'm gonna this do, year i just uh, want to say rj this is the year of the challenger explosion and i have a very very strong memory of this because my third grade teacher she applied to be in that program and she was like a finalist and so she was super invested in it and she didn't get picked and so she brought us all out and we stood around one of those TVs on rolling carts and watched the Challenger lift off and watched it, it explode. Yeah. And it's one of my strongest memories from my childhood because she was devastated and she just was sobbing. And I remember my third grade teacher was like my favorite human being. And it was just so sad to see this happen. And it was just really impactful. So that was a big deal. Yeah. Krista McCall. We need to tell, we need to, I know Brian has listened to this podcast, but there's a podcast from Slate called One Year and Mm. they 
the third season, which they did last summer, was about 1986. And there was seven episodes about different things that happened. And there's an episode um, called The Ultimate Field Trip. It's about like the competition between all the educators who tried to get yeah. on the challenger and they interviewed a bunch of people who were in who were finalists and no way like yeah it's a really amazing actually the whole season all the episodes are great but that one is worth listening wow. to especially because you you have a connection to it but um I'm gonna do that, that was amazing a, that was a really great um podcast season um they also had to do one episode on do you remember when Geraldo like went into Al Capone's, Al Capone's like vault, vault in the hotel yeah. and tried to <laughs> yes. like blow it up and open it. That there, that's an episode. There's an, the episode that I there's an episode about a guy who like from New York who is like kind of in like a he showed up in a Soviet propaganda film and he was just like this guy from New York and like everyone hated him and no but no one really knew like how he ended up in this like Russian there's some really cool stories. So anyway, that's a Slate podcast called One Year. But you should check out that episode, Megan, because you'd like that. I will, um, yeah. I also just want to say, I'm gonna I'm reading Questlove's book, Music is History, and he does a chapter on every year. And now I'm at the point where I'm... Fish exists in the book. Like, I'm, I'm in the 80s now. So next week, I'm going to bring the 1987 anecdote from Questlove to this. That's, that's my... Yes. That's yes, please. But did... This was a double double bill. The Joneses and Fish on a Friday night. Yeah, pretty sweet. Oh, have you, the poster is pretty cool. The poster is pretty cool. Is cool. Yeah, yeah, it has like co- it has like a Boy Scouts like come prepared. It looks pretty cool. It's got kind of a classic uh, Bay Area psychedelia vibe to it. You know, like something that might be up on a pole on Hate Street. Michael Myers is here for our Halloween episode. That's appropriate. Hi, Michael. Hello, all. He says um, in the chat. <laughs> you guys all made that connection, right? Um, yeah, that was good. No, I didn't. But great job. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so um, sh- should we should we dive into the set list? Let's talk about this show? music. Let's do Damn. it. Yeah. I have a what question. Happened? Okay. Right off the bat. I I have a question hell, right off the bat. But. Why the hell must every young band cover Mustang Sally? I don't know. Well, why? They just want to say this... right around Sally. I don't know. Yeah. But why did this band choose to play it so fast? Because it's really too fast. They played a lot of things very fast to be to be frank. Although there are there's a notably slow performance here. I don't know. It's they played it eight times between ten fifteen eighty six and eight five eighty eight. And then not again until Bonnaroo 09 with Bruce Springsteen. I, a, uh, I think that's why you do it. Is, so you're prepared for that Bonnaroo. That's it. That's it. Or for whatever wedding ahead. may arise. Yeah. Um, they've somehow played it less than Goose did. Uh, Goose played it 13 times. Last time played January 26, 2021, which we hope never happens again for their own <laughs> development as well as It's a great ours. song. It's is great it really? Song. Is it really? Yeah. Yes. Really, really? Yeah, it's a fun like, song. Really? What, you like, Can you convince you like me it? that this is a good song? No, I don't like uh, it. Did we spend our time better, uh, maybe on another something else? I mean, I'm about... just, I'm just curious. What makes it a good song now? Well, how about this? Fish played it with Bruce, so there. 
Yeah, that Bruce that did, Bruce had him take it down. Frankly. Bruce had him take it down. <laughs> right, he was embarrassed. He Bruce did. didn't like it. He didn't like it. That's that's not even on live fish anymore. That wasn't even um, Bruce. Bruce had no idea. All right. Anyway, Camel Walk what comes else? next. Camel Walk has some very choice lyrics that inspired dancing. Why do you think so many Jeremy. bands play Mustang Sally? Because it's a fucking good song. If it was a horrible How? song, what no one would say it. What's good about it? It's got a. It's. It's got. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you why. Why it's a good song because it's fun, and it's like it's not very hard to play. That's and why they people, play it. That's the catch, um, right? and people know it. Um, it's it's a you know, it's a bar beer song. and lifestyle song. <laughs> well, also, it's, how about it's, this? It's 3 p.m. at the local county fair with like six people in front of the stage, and the band starts playing Mustang Sally. You're going to drop your turkey couple, leg and run right a over. A couple more people stand up and have their, their hands up like this with a beer in hand. It's just and like kind of shimmy around. Just wait, well, how did that go, Brian? Can you show us that dance? Again? <laughs> It'll be on YouTube later. Okay, good. I'm gonna clip it out. All right, you know what? Uh, well, all right. Well, never mind. Let's let's talk about this camel walk. Yeah, so alternate lyrics, if you will, uh, some riffing. Um, it's cool, they kept it around. Um, it's fun. I like the little breakdown. They do the breakdown. What's fun well. about it, Jonathan? <laughs> fucking fun, fun RJ. What makes the song fun? All right, Wilson. Can't convince I think the song is really fun. fun. <laughs> I mean, you this didn't is song really... that is fun. It's about going down to the disco. That's super yeah. fun. The see, see someone, fun. someone with reasons and points and argumentative yeah. analysis. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. It's got a stop start at the end. Like they're doing some stop start jamming. It's good. I kind of feel like the band I just like the riffs through the breakdown. It's groovy. Yeah. Bom, bom, bom. I kind of feel like and the band still thinks of this song as a joke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a little weird. Well, they should. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird. Well, this song was played 19 times through the 80s, and then there's the 758 show gap until 7295. Mm. It kind of feels like at this point that they're just like playing it because we had this guy in the band who wrote this song. It's got a fun groove, and we're just going to like sing over the top of the lyrics in a joking manner. And I really love it as a second song of the show. It just like, even now, like when they start playing that early in the show, it just kind of sets the tone. Yeah, I think you it's strike your stuff. I think they're really strike. playing it for the breakdown at this point because that's interesting music, and I think they they really play it well. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's what I got on that song. Yeah, this is probably the second time they played it, according to the records that we have, anyway, without Jeff. So they're probably just trying to trying to figure out how to work it in. But yeah, it's fun. It's a good song. It's a good good show so far. Both songs are good so far, and they continue <laughs> with fifty fifty is a decent batting average. So mm-hmm. um, the third. Would you prefer the that they still? <laughs> Just Do you prefer that they going. still played Mustang Sally? Yeah, or I, think I think they, they played. That out I, hope, I think they're gonna happy. have to play it in Mexico now. Or the twenty-five minute Mustang <laughs> Sally would have been pretty sweet, man. Um, or the, the third or ever, that they played My Soul. Um, no, that not, that that song neither. is much less neither? fun than Mustang. Thank Sally. Thank you. Neither, neither is the only neither. correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> so so okay. Well, Jonathan, getting there. I was just going to say, uh, Golgi, uh, <laughs> is this a, it's, 
I don't know when did Golgi first premiere. It's the third time. Two weeks what was earlier. the third time? Yeah. So they're uh, it, it's it's well formed though. I think it's a, a strong version yeah. and a good time, and it lands us right into Slave. And how could you go wrong with that? Do they yeah. go wrong with that? I mean, Golgi was clear. I literally said fully formed in my notes for Golgi. It sounds like Golgi. It's like it's it's exciting. It's really energetic. It's good. And then like a perfect. The only. The only difference is that it it, ha- it doesn't like come in with that bang. It comes in like as this yeah. like, groove, which is really interesting. Yeah. I also like how Trey is repeating something to the audience that many young fish fans will come to learn that the song is not called I Saw You With a Ticket Stub in Your Hand. Um, it's actually called Gold Gap Apparatus. And then he gives a shout out to all of our science friends out there. Yeah. Uh, Both of them. No. He's uh, he calls them shouts yeah. shout out to our science pals in the audience. Everyone has one. <laughs> it's like the only thing. It's only kind of stage banter that would happen at a fish show. It's a good song. This is like yeah. clearly represents the direction he was going in with with uh, oh, yeah. compositions, which is yeah. just fun. And the segue into slave is is great. Really, really nice. fun. That's like it's like a f- four minute slave or something, but but. But it's fun. It's fun to hear. It's great. Well, it's it's interesting to hear them go right to the peak rather than sustain that build, which is something like I, I wrote down just as I was listening to this, the same way that I felt with Hood and Bowie later in the show. Like, who knows what the next 10 years are going to hold for this song? Like, they're playing this song that over the next decade, next decade and a half, even today, like slaves haven't been outstanding, but they are this like cathartic really emotional experience when they're played nowadays even. And it's just one of those songs that they're just kind of throwing into the middle of the first set, not knowing where it's going to go for their career. It's such a cool moment. Yeah. I love thinking about that. These like epic songs that they don't know that they're epic yet. You know? Right. Nobody does. They're just kind of played in front of a bar. It's crazy. So did you guys watch the set lists? read the set list extensively before you listen to this. Cause I didn't, I would like, I pulled it up, you know, I pulled up the, the show and I just hit play and then I changed screens and I just let it play um, as I listened and did other things as I do with my time. Um, and so after slave, you hear them talk about fuck your face. And I was like, yeah. oh, is there fuck your face on this show? No, there is not. <laughs> No, nope. there is not. Nope. But for a moment, I was very excited. And then they started playing Melt the Guns. And I was, again, very excited. No, That's can you believe cool. this song has only been played four times? That's just so crazy. Yeah. It's a cover. It needs to come back. But, but it does need to come Everybody back. Everybody wants it to come back, though. It is a cover goes. that I think many of us would love to see it come back. It doesn't seem yes. like it's incredibly hard. It's challenging. It's got a weird vocal range and you've got the kind of like breakdown and stuff but can you they might imagine have to rehearse it but yeah they would which awesome. is probably the deal breaker um could you imagine <laughs> yeah. them jamming this song like it's oh. got such a i know ah oh. and the segue into sally we we talked about this yesterday oh, last smooth. week 103085 had a sally one of my notes was they already sound tighter and bigger uh, even yeah. though this is only the third version of Sally since 103085. So it's not as though they've been playing this song like night after night after night, show after show. Like it's just it's it's been there, it's in the rotation. 
they're probably practicing it back at home. But like, I don't know, this whole segment here, the first opening from Mustang Sally through Sneak and Sally, uh, the Sally bookend, I just realized. Um, it's just, it's mm-hmm. very tight and very connected fish in a manner that sounds like they know how to just immediately capture a room, which is just a, a unique thing for a young band to do. Yeah, so I'm calling it here. Version. Mexico double Sally. Just for you guys. Let's do it. I'm ready. I'm, I'm certainly not going to be the lay down but... Sally encore for all those who snuck in no. with fake Vax cards. <laughs> you guys can i was thinking about just i'm gonna go back to slave for a second can you guys believe that they didn't play slave for Jonathan like a full like that joke. <laughs> sorry RJ. Go, sorry go ahead rj <laughs> they, they didn't play slave for a full two years in like the most formative period of growth that they've had it, like 91 to 93 it's just you crazy know. to me Still you know why, right? It's you, very you're, weird. You're, you're aware know. of the reasoning, which was, you know, Mike explained know. somebody is that they uh, they thought it sounded too much like a Grateful Dead song. I did not know that. He said that. No. I don't really take that. That's not a – not when you, they've been playing. Wasn't that why they stopped playing Destiny Unbound? I yeah, think oh, he might be thinking of one. Destiny Unbound. Oh, no, really? there were, but there was something with Slave that it was sounded too much maybe. like Dark Star or something. Mm. Yeah, maybe it's such a fishy song. I don't know. It I is know. a strange thing. Like ninety-one and ninety-two, yeah. they were like you know yeah. they're 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 becoming fish. I don't know. Ninety-two, when they're ironically so playing Destiny Unbound, but it was because, because the slave sounded like Dark Star. That was the that was the story. I don't remember who he told it to, but I know the story. We better get him back on the phone. Find out. Get him on the pod. Structurally, like you hear them figuring out where songs fit, you know, like yeah, Tweezer or Mike's is going to jam in set two. Uh, Harry hood is going to close out set two. Uh, you know, Fluffhead's going to close set one. Like there's so many structural things that are being figured out in the spring of 1992. And yet one of the things that is not being figured out is slave to the traffic light should be closing every set to that. Harry hood is not because it's just the perfect way to tie the bow on a show, regardless how it is. But yeah, to your point, they don't play it until is it eight, six 93 at the Cincinnati yep. zoo. Yep. That's the comeback. And then 12, 12, 30, 93, everyone yelling. Slave, slave, slave. <laughs> it's strange. It's amazing. Strange. You know, Dude, for ten strange years, we can is... we can still find things to talk about. Sorry, yeah. Megan. <laughs> I was just gonna say the other thing that's strange is when Richard Wright sings Haley's Comet, even though I know it's his song, those lyrics, it's painful. It is. <laughs> it's painful. Painful is the word I would use, but it is quite different. I'd say painful. But just because Haley's is a beautiful song. Thank you, Brian. It's a beautiful song, and it doesn't sound beautiful when he's singing it. I think it's a silly song, and it sounds silly when he sings it. I think think it's going to be a weird feeling to submit lyrics to a band that is going to attract 100,000 people to rural Florida in like 15 (laughs) years' time, and you get a chance to sing it, and 30 years later, people are like, yeah, that – Songwriter didn't do a good job. Um, I know. 
Back porch boogie blues. I gotta be honest. Mm, You did. I would dig that. This was played nine times. The last time play was 1031.87, exactly one year to the date from here. Um, There's a really good version I recommend to everyone out there 520.87 from The Ranch, which is also available on YouTube to watch the guys play under a big, colorful tent with Trey, just giant red hair hanging down, and Mike with his bass up like this. It looks so weird. Um, But. Highly recommend watching that show, listening to that show. It's a really good set. And the Back Porch Boogie Blues is like nine minutes and goes into a really, really cool jam. Yeah, this That's one awesome. is uh, Titan Rockin', and it's I like it a lot. Um, it's really good. And it lands in Shaggy Dog, which I, I want to bring up how disappointed I am that they didn't play it in the Animals sh- uh, show back in Vegas. They did. But they did. They did? They did. Which That's one is it? Oh, it's No Dogs it. Allowed. Man, I'm off my game today, guys. I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll see you later. <laughs> it's okay. There's No Dogs Allowed that we didn't play. I yes. I was there. I don't know. I know. I would I love to do drugs that I didn't even take. I I <laughs> you were there drugs. and you were sober. You should have taken drugs. You'd remember then. Yep. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, Shaggy Dog's only been played 17 times. This was the second time ever. Remember what I said at the top of the show? For everyone who was here when we took attendance, um, this was the second time played. There's a lot of songs that were played for the first time on 10-15-86 and then played again here Mm -hmm. 13 times in the 80s. And then here are the performances since the 80s. 5-6-92, and although Jonathan forgot it, 10-30-21. It's no dogs allowed that I was supposed to be mad. This is about. one of those songs that if you get it, how could you ever forget that moment? Because it is so <laughs> special that you saw Shaggy Dog. You know, it's funny. I have a uh, a song in this show that I'm going to talk about that moment that I got it. But this isn't the one that I thought That's about when we listened to it. I thought about how I didn't remember ever seeing it, apparently. <laughs> RJ, but this you, song has some of the longest gaps between performances. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's Huge insane. Huge gaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. RJ, you are a um, serial walker, and I imagine yeah. you're a serial walker with Grizz. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you hear a song like Shaggy Dog, like, does it evoke the sentiment of just like having a mangy mutt next to you that yeah. is just like won't leave your side and. Yeah. What, what are your th- what, what, are, are, what thoughts evoke Shaggy Dog for you? Well, I just think dogs are great. I just want to say that for the record. Um, yeah, this is a fun song. You know, I mean, there there's there's not much to it. You know, um, it's just really like like you said, it's just sort of walk on Shaggy Dog a bunch of times. I mean, there's a couple of verses, but yeah, it's it's not it's dogs are great. Thank you for bringing that up, Brian. I hadn't I hadn't connected that today, but I now I'm um now I'm excited. I'm excited to I'm see just my dog about again. It. Me, me too. My my dogs are sitting right outside the door here, and they will jump my dog's on been, like, me. Harassing second I me for it. pets the whole time. They're ready. <laughs> yeah, she's been right here. So we close set one with Fluffhead, and Fluffhead now has the chase inserted into it. And yeah. then it goes back into fluff. It's so unique to hear this version. I was totally blown away listening to this. Um, 
I don't know. It just like with Fluffhead in particular, and we'll talk about with Hood and Bowie in the second set, but like with Fluffhead in particular, you just hear this song in motion and it's just like constantly being built. Like by this point in time, Yen yeah. is pretty much Yem without the jam, but like the song is the song. But Fluffhead is this idea of like the band just piecing things together. And we're going to hear over the next couple of years, all the elements of Fluffhead be played by themselves and then played with Fluffhead and then played by themselves again. And ultimately you just hear a band in, you know, songwriting development, which uh, those, those screws that are turning in Trey's head and, and in the band, rest of the band's head, just setting them up for kind of how they're going to approach writing music for the next three decades. It's wild. What did you guys think about this? Well, Fed? I like that. It's coming together. Sweet. Yeah. It's just, they're just such a better, but better band than they were before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, yeah. they're like, they're, they're way better than they were a year ago. And it's just, it's crazy that they're starting to put these things together and, um, and it, yeah, it's really good. It's like, it, it all works, you know? Um, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah, I liked it too. During the jam, I Trey and Fish were like the only ones that I could really hear really well. And I'd love to hear like a better version of this because I, I feel like it sounded great. And it's so cool to see the evolution of a song. That's like the best part of listening to all these shows in order is just hearing these songs like change and grow. I would love if they released a show this early in the 80s. I think the I earliest know, Fish show that we have officially released. It'd be incredible. I think the earliest fish shows we have released are Colorado 88. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but to get just two years prior, I don't know how much they'd need to, you know, fix whatever recording that they have. I don't know if it's even possible. I'm not, that's not my expertise. Um, my expertise is a thesis I wrote about why bands should no longer cover Mustang Sally, but we've already been to that part of the episode. <laughs> but, you know, I would just love to hear like as high quality of a version of, these types of evolutionary shows because this and 10 15 86 for any of you out there who are skeptical of 80s fish give yourself what is two shows you know how many how many mm-hmm. fish shows do you listen to from the current year you can add two more shows to that go back to the 80s it's really good uh really good research and homework i mean the amount of debuts on 10 15 86 is pretty crazy they bring a lot of stuff one of those shows mm-hmm. i mean they might not have the recordings right no, I mean, someone does. I, They're on odds are they don't have anything better than, or I mean, better what yeah, we do. Well, they haven't yeah. bought out a lot of the old, a lot of the old stuff, right? I think some people don't want to sell the old stuff. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they have some masters, some tapers, or folks have passed along guy. their tapes. <laughs> yeah, Del Preston. Yeah, that guy. There's um, a guy. There is a guy. But uh, I don't know what Fish has. Uh, I know they've got some stuff. I imagine they've got something older than what they released for us. But whether they'll ever do anything with it. Well, this is the year. Uh, in this addition is the year, to exactly. The, uh, lemon Wheel boxed set, they could release some 80s Fish just to you know, throw it yes. back to the old days. Well, they released Here's a show listening. in December 2022 and January 2023. Um, so their quota is already met because of the Gorge 98 release. And you can did. stop right here. The Gorge doesn't count. <laughs> doesn't count because they, you know, they botched that release sequence. And, um, you know, Lemon Wheels do 
great went is obviously was delayed due to manufacturing problems, but that'll be announced any minute now, and it'll be out to celebrate last year's 25th anniversary. And uh, and and I don't want to hear another word to the contrary out of you, Mister. Which Mister are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, the what? At least Brian it's not me. Waiting I... on my parade. I just want to hear. <laughs> Whatever jam session they must have played in January or February 1998 that made Trey go, guys, we're going to book Nassau and Providence Civic Center. That's what I, that's what we need to hear. Because there had to be a jam where he was like, we still got it, guys. Like they all went home. Mike got really deep into playoff football gambling. Fishman was making stews. Paige was reorganizing his art collection. And Trey was just like playing music furiously and called them all together and was like, oh my God, we're going to book four shows. They're going to call it the Island Tour. It's going to be so sick, guys. I'm going to prance around like a rooster. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to prance around like a rooster. I like that. There's there's that. Extra drugs. Extra, stuff going. extra drugs too. Um, Maybe. <laughs> this this jam at the beginning of set two is awesome. It's just Trey noodling like really pretty amazingly. Yeah, more of that. That's a great way to start it. I really like what Paige does in the background while acknowledging you're absolutely right. This is all Trey. This is, I love how at the end as they're building up towards ACDC bag, Trey's like, Gary, you ready for us? But you got to imagine, like, Gary was having a beer. They got up on stage. Trey was like, we're going to play again right now. And then they had to wait for the sound guy, make sure everything's good. Okay, here's a jam. And it's a really cool little jam. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. More of that, please. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Bag is good. Bag's always Mm -hmm. good. Bag's kind of one of those songs that just sounds fully formed, kind of like what you were talking about with Golgi. Like, it just... This is the ACDC bag we're going to get for the next 30 years, aside from some really cool jammed out versions in late 1.0 and 2.0. Uh, Swing Low. Sweet Chariot. Sweet Chariot. Always fun. 13 total performances. This was its second ever. You guys recognizing a theme here? Yeah. 12 performances <laughs> in the 80s and then a 632 show gap until... Can anyone guess when the next version was? 632 shows? Well, let's see. Carry the one. No, I don't know. No. <laughs> 11, 16, 1994. Oh, of course. Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a bluegrass. It was bluegrass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right before I saw them for the first time. Right before. Well, um, that one can stay on the shelf. Um, the fuck you got against Swing Low Sweet Chariot? Like a thousand times more you? interesting than Mustang Sally. God, yeah. Damn. Like, get Jesus Christ. Just because you started this podcast doesn't mean we can't find a way to kick you out. 
I mean, I just don't we, I don't think we can. Do it's it. got this um, haunting, <laughs> do it. haunting <laughs> melody to Bad it. But, yeah, but, so but, but, but it really sounds like something awful is going to happen. Yeah, like that is like, like imagine them in like in a jam coming upon that mm. the way that they did. Um, uh, what was the song they played on Holes Night? Oh, Holy Night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is it's about the yeah. song's about death, so it it does yeah. kind of make sense. Good point. Good point. Love the right. song about. See, death. that's yeah. Love that research that you bring here. Yeah, that's what I do. Thanks for <laughs> having me. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, second, peaches and regalia. Second ever. Second ever peaches. Oh, <laughs> one of my favorite covers. Second. Yeah. Great. Amazing. Um, but then they played the first Bowie. Um, I think I told you guys, you know, I heard my, my first Peaches ever last last year at Mexico. That's crazy. crazy. I heard it at my first show. I know. I think we've had this conversation. Probably. So I don't want to bring familiar. up, <laughs> I don't want to bring up, you know, negativity again. But uh-huh. two thoughts here. Peaches and Regalia versus Mustang Sally. The two directions that this band took based on or the one direction this band took based on their cover choices mustang sally was kind of used cool people know it gets them in the door fun 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 we play some tepid blues rock but then peaches and regalia like an absolutely beautiful and mind-bending composition by one of their greatest influences that is in line with where the band is at from a songwriting standpoint and is in line with kind of the zaniness and the unique creativity that is going to follow them. Like Peaches is not a song that any other band is covering. And if they are, they're not doing it nearly as well as Fish is. And this is a song that's had significant gaps in between performances, tons of really cool bust outs. But here it is, some 40 shows into their career, and it just sounds like Fish playing a cover, but it sounds like a Fish song. Yeah, um, there were... There are some shaky versions if you go through the full fish cannon covers of Peaches. But at this point, they're hitting it pretty hard and they're doing it pretty well. And uh, yeah, it is really an embodiment. Like this is the cover that matches their original sound. I mean, I thought it was their song the first time I heard it at their show. I mean, I didn't know Frank Zappa. You did? Yeah. So I heard it in 94 and I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) I didn't know. I got a tape of nine fourteen ninety nine, and the only thing that was told to me when it was given to me was, dude, Peaches comes back. And I was like, oh, sweet. I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> and I listened to it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a fish song. And then mm-hmm. I played it for my dad because I was like, this is really cool. And he was like, yeah, it's Frank Zappa. It's like. <laughs> oh, okay. You know when they played this a lot? 96. I saw it three times in 96. That's crazy. A lot of it. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the song. I took 96 off. So here we are. There we are. Twelve twenty. I can't wait till they play 16. it at your next show, Jonathan. Speaking of Jonathan. Yeah. I want to hear all Jonathan's thoughts about this Bowie. Oh, I don't have a lot. Um, it, it's it's Brian slow. Does, so it's fine. It's slow. <laughs> it's like you can hear what mm-hmm. Bowie will be. It's not there. Like Paige's part is not really there. Paige is just really like cording along through the midsection and it's um it picks it up a little bit, but 
Yeah, it's fine. It's a great place to start for what will become a kind of defining song for at least a portion of their career. Yeah, this is one of those songs that is going to... You can't have Fish without David Bowie. And without right. what David Bowie is going to do for Fish for the next... At least the next 15 years. Um, since then, I mean, I think it's it hasn't reached the heights that we heard in the mid-90s. But, I don't know. I mean, you hear... Uh, you hear a band that, yeah, I hope, um, a year prior could not have played this song right? and plays it here, not nearly as well as they will within the year. 1987 has some stunning versions of David Bowie, but it's, it's the foundation of where they're going to go. And just hearing that at this point, it's just, it's worthwhile to go back and listen to these versions of these songs and these shows where they came out of, because it's so unassuming. It really is magical to hear a song like this and hear it the first time it's ever played and imagine them like presenting that to the public for the first time and know what it becomes. It's yeah. Broken record here tonight, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. Trey's soloing is pretty amazing for a, for a a first, first version. You're clearly, clearly Mm -hmm. ready, ready to rock. He is. These are clearly his songs. Yeah. You can tell. You know, yeah. and and the rest of the band is going to catch up, but but they're clearly his songs that he has the vision of where this is going to take us. Have mercy, um, have mercy is this pretty song that I really like, and I want to. Me too. Say I was I first saw it in 2016 in Vegas, and uh, in the middle of a Harry Hood. And I was so ecstatic to see it because it had just been kind of out there for so many years and they hadn't played it for five years. And before that, they played it a couple of, I think they'd played it like three times in 3.0 before that show. Um, And then 99 before that, 94 before that, um, a few times in 93 and then not, after this, they don't play it again until the Roxy '93, and mm-hmm. wow, it's so great, so great. And yeah, that's all. and like and longer beautiful. than this David Bowie, actually worth noting. It's beautiful too. It gets yeah. to like a really gorgeous, like delicate and quiet space. It's like really pretty. I actually loved this part of the show. The song's only been played seventeen times, and it's special to hear and. They opened up with it in Charlotte in 2019, and it's the first time it opened a show. And it was like a hot summer day. I was there with a bunch of my friends, and it opened up the show, and we were all just like, yes. And that show just ended up having just great vibes. But it's just – I've seen it again in Raleigh too, but it's a southern thing for me, I think. But this song is – I love when they play it. And this is a gorgeous version. Like Trey and Paige have a lot of like amazing interplay during this version too. It's great. I did not realize until you just said that, that this was the last version until the Roxy. That's so crazy. I'm looking at the breakdown of it here. And this is another one of those songs that like, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, maybe we talked about this on a previous podcast. I probably said something like this before, but like, you know, 
the the huge what if of what happens if the band doesn't get back together in 2009 and like a song like have mercy is just kind of like a randomly played song in weird parts of their career whereas now like you think about that charlotte show you talked about uh, i saw it open the second set of double chocolate night it was played in mexico Mm -hmm. like it's just one of those songs that like they can get to that beautiful space that the song is in and it's for everyone it's a check off of you know the stat for them to hear this song but it also just like works really really nicely and this is a beautiful version it reminds me a lot of the makasupa policemen's that we'll hear in 1987 one of the jamming highlights of that year um we get some guest vocals for the second time this show ja roy comes in and sings in the jamming segment of uh, Have Mercy. As Michael Myers noted, there's a great version from Utica 2010 that goes into a jam as well. Just, I mean, this is a very special fish song that there are certain songs that the band has properly dropped throughout different eras of their career while also keeping it incredibly rare and Have Mercy is one of them. Fun reverence. Love it. Um, yeah, the rest of the show's fine, but we the, the Bowie is really where it's at here, right? Is that right? I mean, there's other stuff, but I mean, the hood think, peak is great. Trey seems like super confident during hood. It's beautiful. Well, and last week we talked about one year and one day prior they debut Harry Hood. That's the whole reason we did ten thirty eighty five. We're now a year later. The song has evolved. We actually have the segments of music up until the Bliss segment. The jam sounds stunning. Uh, sanity sounds almost melodic. This is the theme continues second ever skin it back. When was the first one? 10, 15, 86. There have been 12 I like skin it backs since. Me too. Crazy. 12 since. We talk about so yeah. many songs that are like debuted in these shows that then mm-hmm. go on to become foundational fish songs. There's also these like diverting areas for where the band's going to go. Um, Jonathan, we, also we saw get- it. We saw that one t- or I've seen it one time, and that was the double encore night at Hampton 2018. At Hampton? Yeah. That was the last uh, time they so, played it, right? I think so. It's the only they time I've seen it. it. Yeah. They played it, it but uh, I think that was the sound check, wasn't it? Yeah. So oh, yes. it doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, doesn't count, count right? Nope. Can't count yeah. towards your but stats. I heard it. I heard it there. Ridiculous. In a plot twist, it is the second version ever, but the first version was on 4186. Yeah, not 1015. <laughs> where we learn that Iculus was born in ancient Greece in the year 1948. On Halloween. To Jonathan's 30, point, 38 years later. 30, yeah. Eight years later. Yeah. Crazy. Um, I had a question for you guys. Can we still no, ask questions the on the show? Is, no. is that possible? Brian, you can well, that's not actually. That's the answer. That's not actually an, a, an option. Pick one song from this show to make a return in 2023. I'm going to give you four options, okay? And if you <laughs> answer like option number one, <laughs> Mustang Sally, <laughs> Melt the Guns, Back Porch Boogie Blues, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Back porch boogie blues. Help the guns. Well, the guns. having a hard time with this. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> well, not, not the guns as well, but my backup is back porch boogie blues. Um, my backup's not the guns, so we're all in agreement. My backup's somewhere. swing low, sweet chariot. 
That's my third option. <laughs> no option for Mustang Sally. <laughs> Great song. Could I, could I ask another question? I have, I have more questions. Mm-hmm. I come prepared with questions for y'all. We like All your right. questions. So thank you. So listening to this show and listening to the second set, and RJ just kind of said it, like, the rest of the show is okay. This show has a structural element to it that reminds me of a lot of what we're going to hear basically for the next nine, ten years. Mm-hmm. Not a ton of flow. There's more focus on segments of rock music, segments of comedies, segments of comp- composition. What are your thoughts on this approach to set listing versus what we would get from like 97 through 2.0 and late 3.0? Do you guys enjoy this as much? Do you not? Do you find it more purposeful? Like what, what, what do you guys hear from this seg- set listing approach versus what we would get as the clock turns like 1997 and onward? I have thoughts I think on this. it's really this. hard to compare them because – they're just such a fully formed band in the late nineties. You know, I think it's like hard to compare a band that's a few years old to a band that's been around for 10, 12 years. Like they're experts by then. So of course, Trey was like a master at creating set lists by the late nineties because he'd spent how long doing it and obsessing over it. So um, I think this is a band that's still thinking about like constantly introducing new material. What can we play? What, can all the members of the band play teaching them all these challenging songs? Like, I think it's just challenging to compare. And that's, that's my daughter burning dinner. Hold on. <laughs> um, it's funny that you asked this actually, because I agree with Megan. I think, you know, into the nineties and they had developed flow and really great control over a set list and what it could do for a show. But also in 3.0, sets like this kind of come back. It's different songs. But You're totally right. This like is absolutely 3.0. what people nowadays refer to as like Trey DHD. You know, it's like, it's a We're little bit all over the place. Kind of thing, yeah. It's, you know, well, let's just throw some songs out there and see what sticks. Um which is, you know, that's what any young bar band is doing uh, as early in their career as, you know, Fish was in 86. So, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes that still comes back. I don't think it's quite um, quite the same, but yeah, that's what it reminds me of some of these, of those 3.0 shows. Yeah, I don't know. It's too complicated for me. <laughs> um, well, then, uh, Brian, let me, what do you let me, think? Yeah, do you have more to add? I mean, I think I, th- I think it's a functional element. I, I I agree with you guys. Like, it's hard to compare just because of how much they're going to grow over the next ten years. But it's it's wild to me that this is. You can hear in certain moments that they were becoming really quality improvisers. And we heard a little bit of it in the first three shows we discussed in this series. We're going to hear a lot more of it, especially in 87 or 88, depending on what shows we discuss. But then they kind of abandon that. And this model is what goes forward, where it's not so much about let's reserve a segment for jamming and see what comes out of jamming. It's we're going to really 
constrain what's possible within the show to give you as much diversity of music as possible. And it's just a really, it's interesting that that was the approach for so long as they grew and then they abandoned that. And then they came back to it out of necessity in early 3.0 when the focus was let's actually play these songs right because a lot of them are pretty good. Jamming kind of goes out the window. And then as they evolved and they get more comfortable in 3.0, the sets start to feel like full, complete pieces. And it's one of the things I've always admired about Fish is that approach had to have taken so much control. Like you have this hyper-talented guitarist. You have a band that is inspired by improvisational artists in the past knows that they can do it, but they are going to constrict themselves to make every show almost be kind of an extension of practice. Yeah. That's That's so interesting to think about. It's just, it seems like an intentional choice that they made. Yeah. I mean, they were disciplined, right? Really, really disciplined. Can I ask one more question? Please. Yes. <laughs> so this is the first Halloween show. First ever. I don't know if we're no. going to talk about another Halloween show in this series, but this is the first mm. ever. What about the show, if anything, do you think sets the tone for the band doing Halloween going forward? Sanity. <laughs> Nothing, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a show, I think. Um it may be, you know, fun to act show seemingly special to the campus environment itself. But beyond that, it's taking just fish as it is. It's just a show. It's a good show. Just a show. Just a show. Yes. I kind of agree with Jonathan. Sorry, Brian. It's a show. I, I actually agree with you guys. I just wanted to hear if you guys heard anything. I think it's too early to like I think they were just playing a show and they were like, figure it out later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it like the first Worcester show that Halloween, that's like the big one that they, I think that one is kind of the one that becomes like Halloween becomes something, right? Well, you get the, they play, they play Halloween next year and then they do Glens Fall or they do um, a couple Colorado Halloweens that are, they're, they're nowhere yep. near. They're not covering albums. Mm-hmm. They're not playing three sets. Yeah. It's, it's it's about 10 years away or eight years away from really taking that next step. But um, yeah. I don't know. I was just curious listening to this if you guys heard anything. But Yeah, it's a good question. But I think they're – yeah, I think it's like a little, a little early. But we're going to find out as we keep going through because we're going to be there soon. We're going to be there soon, everybody. This is so fun. We're moving onward. Mm-hmm. We're moving onward. 87. Um, 87 next week. Um, 87 is an important year for a lot of reasons, which we can discuss now. So you'll have to tune in next week to find out why. (laughs) Thank you, guys. That was fun. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Joe.
Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!